Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on board Peter Wallace from Endeavor Capital and we're going to talk about the concept of transaction advisors working together. And we're going to talk a little bit about each of our experiences when this is done well and when it's done poorly. And I think this is particularly useful. I think most of our listening audience are, you know, either businesses who are looking to buy or sell, but also professional advisors, so accountants, M&A advisors, brokers. And I think this discussion could be really useful in giving each of us as professionals a little bit of insight into how it feels to sit on the other side of the table and what some of the things are that we might be doing and not realizing that are causing barriers to the process. Ladies and gentlemen, Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area. And hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Peter, welcome on board. I think this is going to be a ripper of an episode. Hi, hi, Joanne. I have to be some value at it. <laughs> All right. So, Peter, how about we start off by if you can give us a really quick overview of who you are and where you come from and what you do. Okay. So, uh, Peter Wallace, I'm Managing Director of Endeavour Capital. So, we're a, a lower mid-market corporate advisory group. So, business sales, business acquisitions, business valuations. We also get involved with exit planning and corporate governance reviews. So we've got a a kind of a broader mandate than just purely a transactional mandate. And so then talking about this issue of transaction advisors working together, maybe let's kick it off. Why do you think this is an important topic for us to be talking about? Well, Our clients don't buy and sell businesses for a living. As a generalisation, they might only buy or sell one business in their lifetime. And so, therefore, a successful transaction will need a transactional specialist, whether it's a corporate advisor or a business broker. It'll need a solicitor, probably need an external accountant. Um, If we extend it to exit planning, well, there will be some work involved in getting the business ready for exit. So that might involve some coaching skills, whether that's done by the corporate advisor or done by the accountant or done by an external business coach. And then the ultimate thing, again, with the financial planning aspirations of the client. And so a financial planner might be involved. And so there certainly the broader exit planning has got more components to it than a business acquisition or sale. But if you look at just an acquisition or sale, the three key people are the transaction specialists, uh, the solicitor and the accountant, and we all have to work together to achieve an outcome for the client. Whether that's a successful transaction or not, well, it depends on the circumstances, but it works well when we work together. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm really glad to be talking about this topic because my approach has always been that we get better outcomes when we're all working together. But it's interesting how many advisors are used to working in their silos. And I think that's perhaps from my perspective, problem number one. Absolutely. And so that, I mean, part of what we need to do is to understand how what we do is dependent on other people and how other people are dependent on us. And, you know, front of mind is the objective of the client. And we need to understand what each of us does so that we can better serve our client. 
Yeah. It's interesting as well, because I guess from a client's perspective, they are coming into a transaction and quite often having to tell the story to their M&A advisor or their broker and then tell the story again to their lawyer and tell the story to their accountant. So I I guess in a perfect world, (laughs) we'd all be there together, wouldn't we, in working through it so the story doesn't have to be told multiple times. Well, that's right. And I I would encourage anybody that's considering selling their business to put their transaction team together early so that we can actually understand each other, know who's on the team, know what they're good at, know if there's any weaknesses and how we can cover any of those weaknesses. So there is only one story. And then when we go to the market, the deal is is ready to go. It's polished. There's no skeletons. And so that uh, if we have somebody interested in buying it, it can progress smoothly to a uh, positive conclusion. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So maybe if we kick it off, let's start sharing some stories together because I I think, you know, it's quite useful to have actual real examples for people to hear of the pains from both of our sides that can be caused when, you know, the professional teams, the transaction team doesn't work together. So I'll kick it off. Something that happens very regularly from my perspective is that we quite often we're referred into a business purchase or sale at the time when commercial terms have already been arrived at. So, you know, because we do a lot of work in this area, they're not necessarily clients. They're not always clients that we've worked with beforehand. We come in at the time of the transaction. And what quite often happens that I see is the structure of the sale has been set up in such a way that is not necessarily conducive to the best outcome at the end of the day for the seller. And by that, one classic example that I'm thinking of at the moment that has happened again and again and again and again for me is that an advisor or a broker has picked up a business who has spoken very briefly with their accountant about readying them for sale. They put the company on the market for sale, but they're selling the business that's held by a company. We get to a sale position. It comes to our legal team and then suddenly we look at it and we say, okay, well, do you realise you'll have tax issues here that potentially could have been minimised if you had approached the sale in a slightly different way from an illegal and accounting perspective? And here, I think that issue, and usually it's too late by then, right? We can't go and restructure the business. We can't go and restructure the sale. Sometimes we can, but usually once everyone's got in their mind what the commercial terms are, it's very hard to push, say, for example, a share sale rather than a business sale at that point because of where we've come in. And so from my perspective, advisors working together to the best benefit of the client also happens a few steps earlier in the preparation of a business for sale so that that business owner is structured in the right way and the advisors have been able to impart the information to the broker or the M&A advisor so they know the best outcome of sale for that business owner so that they end up with the most amount of money in their pocket at the end of the day. So from my perspective, that's the thing that I see happen quite often and certainly something that I believe could be resolved by transaction teams working together early in the process before it hits the market. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've had similar sort of situations where we've had you know, discussions on you know whether it's sale of business or, or sale of shares. I've had one example where because I've had it too many times, it's a question I ask early. And so I ask the accountant early, if it was a, you know, a transaction, what's the best way to do it? They said X, got to the death and they said, oh no, it's the other way. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've seen and that. So de- definitely, that's one that, um, as part of kind of the the preparation process, is that the objective isn't to maximise the uh, the sale price; it's to maximise the after tax sale price. That's exactly right. And uh, do you know what I, I feel in I feel in the industry as a whole, though it's it's probably well known between accountants and lawyers, but but I think for brokers and M and A advisors, perhaps it's not as clear what massive implications there can be between a business sale and a share sale in some instances. And, you know, I certainly know many brokers who approach it from, oh, share sales too hard because no one likes to buy shares. But in my view, that's absolutely rubbish. You can get over that if you need to. But firstly, everyone needs to understand what the most optimal thing looks like and then you can find a way to build that into the sales. Yeah, and I think it's also a function of the size of business. I think the sort of transactions we do, it's mo- they're mostly share sales. The bigger you get, the more likely it is to be a share sale. I mean, I can't think of a, a business sale that I've done where the you know, price was, say, more than $2 million. I mean, it's all they're all share sales. At the small end, I think there is going to be more company sales than in the past for a couple of reasons. One, and this may be a topic for you for another podcast, is that the privacy rules on selling a business, about what information on clients you can and can't pass across on a sale of business as opposed to a sale of shares. Now, dear friend, Stan Beauty, that theft of a tax that it is, obviously more advantageous <laughs> to sell shares rather than business in that situation. Yeah. So I guess firstly, so what we're talking about here then, bring you back to the transaction advisors working together. It's about, so maybe number one, it's an education process about transaction advisors getting to know each other, but also working with the business early enough so that that can help pitch the deal in the right way, I guess, for the right outcome, which as you said, is not necessarily top line price, but what's in the uh, vendor's pockets, the seller's pockets. Yeah, so I, mean, I think the I mean the important thing is momentum. If you've got a, a buyer that's interested in buying the business, you want to drive that to completion in a sensible time. I mean, they've got to do their due diligence and all that, but you don't want deal fatigue to happen where we're chopping and changing deals, not providing information. And I guess yeah, so that's that way kind of preparation where you know, before we go to market, the three key uh, professionals get together, work out you know, if there are any points we need to address before we go to market. Certainly, tax structuring is one of them. Look, let's also talk then about what other examples you've seen over time of issues caused by transaction teams not working together. The biggest frustration is probably responsiveness. I guess, you know, if we've got a buyer to wanting to buy a business, we want to get it done as quickly as possible. You know, stories that this first one isn't mine, but it was told to me that it took a solicitor six months to get an assignment of lease. Yeah, the probability of a deal blowing up in that situation is, is high. One that I was involved with, it was a relatively simple transaction. It was a sale of business. It took the solicitor two months to prepare a standard New South Wales Law Society business sale contract. Wow. That's an example, don't you think, then, of a solicitor that's doing something they don't know how to do or there's something else going on there that's something that should take a day to get out? That probably leads me to the, the second biggest bugbear is capability, where the accountant and the solicitor usually have got a longer-term relationship with the client than what we do. And we come in there and go, oh, I'm not sure they're actually good enough. Um, that's actually quite an awkward conversation to have with our client to say, look, your, your accountant or your lawyer may be good at X, Y, and Z, but they're actually not up for doing a transaction of this sort of size and complexity. 
the reality is that business sales and acquisitions are actually a very different area of law to many areas of even other general areas of commercial law. And certainly I've seen the instance many times of lawyers perhaps who have more of a bent towards litigation as an example, (laughs) you know, becoming overly aggressive in a deal rather than having their head around what the real commercial outcomes and the real commercial risks are. Because I, I think in these sorts of transactions, many things can look like a risk, but at the end of the day, you, you need to have your commercial head on to really understand what really are true and foreseeable risks that need dealing with and what the appropriate way is to deal with those. Again, the larger the transaction, the less likely that's going to be of an issue because larger companies have, or larger businesses typically have got a different type of accountant and solicitor working with them. But where I find it is probably kind of a in size businesses, which are usually share sales of a size kind of one to four million dollars. So that it's kind of a small deal for a for a big firm, but it's a big deal for a small firm. And sometimes that's an area where there's a fair bit of challenge in terms of um, how, how good the people are. And let's talk about the accountant side then as well. What are some of the issues that you have seen working with accountants and how can accountants identify ways that they might be being obstructionist to the process? The biggest one is before it goes to market is to identify their client base that are baby boomers that may well be selling their business. And the accountants are in an ideal position to have a conversation with their clients about well, what's the plan? Are they going to sell the business internally? Are they going to sell it externally? Are they going to pass it to the next generation? And is the business in shape so it can be sold? So that's kind of the, the first part. And the second part is, well, what's a realistic price for it? The joke in with corporate advisors is the phrase you don't want to hear is my accountant says my business was worth X because X is usually um, way over the mark. <laughs> And you've got a situation where the vendor's got you know, high expectations supported by an accountant, but not supported by market evidence. And we have to deal with professional issues, with professional embarrassment with the accountant to say, look, there's no way it'll sell for that because of, and then we produce market evidence, then there's some conflicts there. And so I guess my takeout to the accountants is if you're not a business valuation expert, be very careful about what you say to clients about what you think the business might be worth. Yeah, this message has sort of been a bit of a theme in many of our podcasts because I think it's a quite a common issue that brokers and corporate advisors have to deal with the rebalancing of their clients' expectations after they've had a discussion, a prior discussion with their accountant about value. And this might in some ways be a bit confronting for accountants, but I think on the one hand, they might feel that there's an expectation from their clients that because they're accountants and they deal with numbers and they deal with businesses, they should be able to provide a guide as to valuation. What's the sort of things that you would say about that? What is it that an approach to valuation that is being used by accountants that you think maybe is what contributes to leading to this perhaps development of across the board, an ongoing example of incorrect valuations? An example that I had was that this guy approached me to to sell his business because he decided he told his wife he was going to sell his business on the when he turned sixty five. The challenge was that that was in the depths of the GFC, and he said his accountant told him his business was worth five times multiple. And then I asked, can I have a, yeah, I asked an obvious question, can I have a copy of the valuation so I can understand it? No, he didn't put it in writing. So 
tip number one for accountants, if you're not willing to put it in writing, don't say it. With this guy, either the accountant or the vendor had completely misinterpreted the calculation to get from a multiple to an equity value where they'd, he'd ignored debt, he'd used the wrong multiple, he'd used the wrong income figure. And he thought he was going to walk away with about three times as much as what he ended up getting because of confusion somewhere along the way. I wasn't close enough to be able to point the finger at anybody, but there was certainly confusion between what the client thought the accountant said and reality. I guess you're the one that has to have these difficult discussions to bring the sellers back to the reality of what they're actually going to be able to get. Yeah, that's right. If the accountant is sufficiently experienced and expert in, in, in valuations, well, periodically do a most probable selling price estimate uh, for the client, put it in writing so they understand what the drivers are and what are the earnings, what's the multiple, what does what they actually get for it, how do we have to deal with debt? What's the tax implications? And so the client will know what their walk away after tax figure is. And frequently that's a lot different to what they thought. Then the accountant or they can get us involved and we can say, well, how do we increase that after tax amount to an acceptable figure, whether the quality of the business, reducing the risk, increasing the profitability, better working capital management, all those kind of exit planning issues as well as tax planning issues. Maybe in this all is an opportunity for accountants as well. Obviously, an opportunity for accountants who want to be a little bit more proactive, perhaps in having these discussions with their clients, perhaps across the board, because they may not necessarily know who's about to um, want to walk into selling a business because there's all sorts of drivers for selling a business that may just pop up. I, I guess, as we always say, it's best for business owners to be running their businesses in a sale-ready state always. <laughs> so, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for accountants in proactively looking at valuations and how their clients can improve valuations so that they are running in a sale-ready state. So for those accountants who aren't necessarily the experienced in dealing with particular clients in various industry sectors in helping them arrive at valuations, what's the path that you would recommend to them? Well, I think the first thing to be very careful about what they've given them because in most cases, it actually won't be a formal valuation. And so some of the audience will know a APS 225, which is the valuation standard for accountants. Unfortunately, a lot of accountants don't actually know that exists. And so they call things by the wrong name and set up expectations with their clients about calling something that isn't evaluation, evaluation. And so that that's why there's a phrase within H225 about most probable selling price estimate. It isn't a valuation, but it uses valuation techniques. And so it's a high level overview rather than the litigation type. Maybe if you could give us any examples, if you have any, of where this has worked really well. Have you worked with any clients in the past where they've thought about this early enough that they've considered getting a valuation of the business or, or an estimate <laughs> on sale, but then looked at what elements they could change to get a better valuation at the end of, or better sale outcome at the end of the day. And then they've gone ahead and done that and gotten a great sale. We've got what we call a, a know and grow your business value sort of approach. And so the first part is to deliver the reality pill that at the moment, this is probably what you'd get for selling your business, um, which is usually a bit of a shock. And then it's working with the client to say, well, here are the barriers, here are the things that are, are dropping down the value of the business and you need to address. And so in, in simple terms, valuation is only about four factors, earnings, growth, risk, and capital management. 
And so therefore, you look at earnings. How are we going to increase the earnings? How are we going to reduce the risk? Because the lower the risk, the higher the multiple. Uh, the higher the growth in earnings, the higher the multiple. Then you look at working capital management. Do they have a tight balance sheet? Have they got too much money tied up in receivables and inventory? Because it's usually not one thing, but it's an exponential thing where if you fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this, you can double the value of your business within three years. Do you have any actual examples? I just love hearing, you know, the actual type of industry and what they did. Yes, I had one where it was a, a business in the station business and we worked out that the industry was going through a change. We didn't make a lot of money. So the business wasn't making a lot of money, but we saw there was an opportunity to grow the business and we knew exactly who was going to buy it, why they're going to buy it. And we ended up, in that case, the value of the business increased by about fivefold within three and a half years. Interestingly, the, the earnings didn't increase because usually if you're growing that fast, earnings tend to lag growth in revenue because we're reinvesting. But the purchaser saw a great opportunity and the owner yeah, made four and a half times the money in, in three years. What were the biggest changes they made in that time, created that result? Well, I think there's a combination of things. One is they worked out who was going to buy the business and why they wanted to buy it. And so there was part of the business that wasn't relevant to the people that were likely to buy it. There's probably only three or four people that were, that we thought would pay more than fair market value for the, for, the, for the business because there were some strategic reasons for them to do it. And so we recognised their strategic reasons and we focused on making us more relevant to potential buyers so we got rid of uh, noise, closed one division down, we sold something else off, we made some acquisitions to make us more attractive in different markets, ge- different geographic markets. And so somebody came along and said, you're perfect for us, here's a ridiculously high price. And we said, thank you very much. That's fabulous. I guess coming full circle, you know, we started off talking about transaction teams working together and the different advisors working together. Was there anything in that matter where you sort of drew on the expertise of, you know, other advisors in helping to get that outcome? Well, I think that um, certainly early on, we worked out what the best tax position was. And so we had to do some restructuring there from a tax perspective. And so uh, the lawyers and the accountants did their job there in terms of making sure that it was a it was a tax efficient transaction. And I guess the takeout for that one, that part of it is that now, with stamp duty exemptions and capital gains tax exemptions and things like that, you need to do it you know, sufficiently far before the transaction to make it effective. Otherwise, it won't work. And so that, that was one. In that case, we had a, a good relationship with the external accountant where they were providing some of the coaching sort of advisory work and, and we, were, we were in there as a just as a high-level overview in terms of here's what we think should happen. And the management team together with the external accountant and a few consultants drove it. So obviously the advisory team working together, also another critical element, getting in early, clearly something that you did in this particular matter because you were talking about having enough time to restructure, having enough time to drive these changes such that they would have enough of a difference, the point of sale. Markets change and if you're not, as you said, sale ready all the time, if you, you know, saying you're going to sell at a particular date and that's not a convenient time because we've had a GFC or a stock market crash or or whatever, then you have to be in a position where you're sufficiently flexible to be able to uh, modify timing 
without having fixed dates and fixed outcomes. It's interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, I uh, sort of, I always say sale already business is, is a nicer business to run anyway, and quite often then the business that they don't necessarily feel they need to sell. I had one guy who um, was going through the process and he started down, down, I want to sell my business. And so I told him what it was worth. And then I got him to think about, here's, here's some things you can do to, to increase the value of the business. And he said, if I could do that, I wouldn't sell the business. And, and my answer was, of course, good. Let's let's solve those issues. Yeah. And so that um, you don't have to sell the business because a lot of the time, you know, they've had a, a lousy couple of weeks where, you know, they've been dragged all over the place and they said, bugger, I'm going to sell the business. They're probably not likely to get a result, a good result because the issues that were causing them frustration, the potential buyer will see. But if we address those issues, oftentimes they're freed up so that it's a case of, helping the management, the owner, develop a management team around him to take those annoying things off him. Yeah, really good point. And so as we wind up this discussion, are there a list of pointers that you could set out for our accountants and our um, corporate advisors or our brokers and our, and our lawyers out there? I know there's a few of them tuning in to listen to this podcast as well. Have you got any general tips on how to kick off working better together as a team and where those key points are for identifying times to particularly work together as a team? I think that very early on, as you said, is to before we go to market so that we've identified any particular tax issues or risk issues that we need to address before we go to market. It's a good way for us to, because I may or may not know the accountant or the, or the lawyer, and they may not know me. So therefore, understanding each other, understanding each other's capabilities, understanding who's responsible for what, who's going to do what by when, so that get in early, address any issues, and then keep each other updated. As you say, said in the intro, that you know, we're all so focused on what we're doing is that we do get stuck in silos and, and forgetting that we do have flow-on effects to other people. And that most of the time, if we're having regular updates, and that we can overcome those issues before they blow out of all proportion because momentum is probably the biggest thing. And if we can get in early, momentum's more likely to occur. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the other, you, you know, the the other thing we we haven't talked about is sort of gauging where that line is in terms of the amount of interaction between the team. And, and what I mean by that is let's talk about corporate advisors or brokers, you know, sometimes, and each person has a different approach. Some approach advisors is about wanting to be really close to the transaction so they can help guide the transaction along, be involved where there's any issues, help to to deal with any issues. Some transaction advisors actually prefer to be somewhat removed from the transaction as well. So I think part of the team working together is also about asking those questions at the beginning and understanding how involved each team member is. And I guess talking about accountants, some accountants are very, very integrated in the business. And if the broker or advisor doesn't fully get that, you know, there can be this turf, this turf war. Absolutely. That, you know, and I, I've seen this happen quite a few times it results in a really bad outcome for the clients, I think. So I think it's really important to um, be aware of that and to um, set the scene early. Yeah, and I have to admit I'm probably one of those ones that's guilty about being a control freak. (laughs) 
my role is to help project manage it. And so therefore, to project management, I need to understand what's happening. And I don't want to step on people's toes, but I need to understand what's happening, what are the barriers. I mean, it's an emotional time for you know, someone who's, say, selling the business. It's an emotional time for them. There will be times where they will blow up and they'll need to have their dummy spit and you know, facilitate a role where they can dummy spit to me and I can make it more euphemistic when I talk to the other side. What I've seen, what can really make the issue worse then, the dummies bit worse, is when advisors then start to maybe badmouth the other advisors, you know, perhaps even unintentionally, but, you know, come from the position of, hmm, I think I would have done it this way rather than that way. You know, and I, I think divisive approaches rather than inclusive approaches are really destabilising for our clients at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, because I mean, there's no black and white way of doing it. So that um, there's situations where I've had hands-off approaches. More often than not, I've got a hands-on approach. It depends on the course. And depending on the solicitor and the accountant, you know, some of them, if I've worked with them before, I know where their strengths are. I just let them do it because that's, that's what they're good at. Other times where there might be an area that I'm not convinced they're strong on, well, I might get a little bit more involved. But ego is a funny thing. You know, we need to work with people. And so working out the best way to work together. Absolutely. I completely agree. Well, look, hopefully this has been quite a useful episode for our listeners, whatever space they're coming from. I found it very interesting. So, look, thank you so much, Peter, for coming along and chatting to us today. My pleasure. If our listeners want to make contact with you, how do they do that? Okay. Well, the easiest way is to have a look at our website, endeavourcapital.com.au. Give me a call, uh, 0418-454-144 or email pw at endeavourcapital.com.au. Excellent. Okay, wonderful. Well, look, thanks, Peter. Thanks for coming in to chat to us today. And I think we'll have you back for a future episode so we can drill into some of these areas in a little bit deeper detail. But until then, have a fabulous day. Great, thanks. Well, that ends this episode with Peter Wallace of Endeavour Capital. Today's episode was all about the team of professionals working together to get your business sale transaction across the line and the importance of firstly forming the team before you go to market so that all key advisors can work together to get the business in the right sale ready state. Peter then tackled the concept of capability. As I mentioned earlier, business sales and acquisitions are a specialised area. You need advisors who are experts in this particular area and have had a wealth of experience in working through the sales and acquisitions process many times over. And here at Aspect Legal, we absolutely agree with that point of view. We've seen firsthand the issues that can be caused when advisors are acting on the other side of the table who don't regularly work in this area. We've seen many deals get close to falling over just because of a lack of experience in what is actually quite a niche space. And finally, we talked teamwork between advisors and the difference it can make when it's done well and when it's done poorly. Now, if you want to learn more from Peter, check out our show notes at www.thedealroompodcast.com where we'll link through to their website. There you'll also find a full transcript of this episode if you want to read it in more detail. Well, look, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please hit subscribe for The Deal Room Podcast on Apple Podcast or your other favourite podcast player. And that's it. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast. 
a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Deal Room.